0: You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. I want to put the title of my message up, uh, Working for God. This is a simple title to a simple message from the Word of God. In the beginning of this, I want to read some words of the great Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Thessalonians. Those in Thessalonica, he writes in his second letter to them, in the third chapter of that letter, starting uh, in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you I remember this, of course, from the King James, if a man doesn't eat, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, and that was one of the first principles that we were taught. Uh, There are some ideas concerning the kingdom of God that a lot of people have these days that seem to paint a picture of us not having to do anything, and that we depend upon only God's grace, which... As an external statement, if I said we will depend only upon the grace of God, of course, you would all say amen, and I do. But sometimes we have to understand what God is expecting from us. What is he looking for? And what I have found throughout the word of God is God is not looking for anybody to sit idly by. But that he wants everybody involved in some way, shape, or form in the work of his kingdom. And he spoke often about it, but Paul operated and lived according to this specific work mentality and really this came from his relationship with jesus because he met jesus on the road the spirit of god began to speak to him but paul noticed that in the churches there was a problem with people who seemed to over spiritualize ministry in other words they made it so heavenly that it became no earthly good Meaning that we live in a natural world. We live in a world where there are needs, there are problems, there are things that must be carried out, and a parasite feeds off of others without giving anything back. And in relationships, always, always sleep with that. I want to make sure, I don't want to be a parasite in a relationship with you. If I go to you and I only take from you, well then I'm no different than a tick or a flea. I'm not contributing to you. But we need a symbiotic relationship. In other words, a relationship built upon you give, I give, we give together. That's koinonia. That's fellowship, like the Bible describes. That we all have a part. But that system breaks down when one becomes lazy. That system breaks down when a certain few are doing everything and other few are not really contributing because they have the mentality, well, they're going to do it, so why should I? You know, in America, we have certain principles, and we are very proud people, and uh, we are arrogant very often. There's often a lot of avarice that arises. Uh, I, I mean, I'm proud to be an American, but I know my culture, and sometimes our mentalities are uh, a little strange. And God does a lot, but we have these ideas. Uh, we say that we have an expression. We say that you know, if you can do it, so can I, or I can do it better like just the principle we have. Well, if you can do it, I can do it better. Uh, I went and I've lived in other countries. One of the countries that I lived in for a while has, was exactly the opposite. I actually had an expression that was, and I quote, if you can do it, why should I? <laughs> so I found that been this, this two extremes in cultures around the world. Americans have this mentality of conquering and doing it. these other people. I think that, that somewhere there is a balance in there. And in my life, I've sought that balance. I actually learned a lot from the culture that had that expression in it. I learned a lot of principles. In fact, a lot of valuable Christian ethics I picked up in that culture when I lived there. But I also carried a lot of things from my home culture. But a symbiotic relationship is a mutual benefit to us all. A true fellowship in the Word of God requires that we live together in that way. So I ask the question, are you you parasitical or are you symbiotic? In your membership in the kingdom of God. So keep that in mind, and the ideas of fairness and equality in life lived together were given to Paul, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Paul is contending here with the church, look, don't let people get out of hand and not do anything. If somebody's idle, then you need to reprimand them. You need to tell them, look, what are you doing? Why not do something? And this is not often a popular theme in the church, because a lot of people would rather attend a church where they don't need to do anything. A lot of people, are only some total of uh, work is putting money in a bucket, and people are happy with that too. That that's good, and by extension, you work hard for that money, so you are working, Then you come and contribute. But I think that Paul's talking about something even bigger than that. Not just that, he's saying, if somebody's not working, and I do believe in work, I always have, I love work, I have a strong work ethic, and I don't mind working. In fact, because of the value of work, I've been able to work all these years without pay. And I'm able to lay down and sacrifice because I'm working for another master. And it's so funny that all through these years, it's like I work for some multinational conglomerate, some big company with a CEO and a board of directors over me that are invisible. Because through these years, thirty almost 35 years, I've noticed the gradual increase and incrementation of the benefits and the finances that God gives me to live my life and do what I do. Like somebody all along has been marking through checks and balances and giving me a raise every now and then. But I've not have been connected to any, I mean it's not one group, I've been with this group, that group, this church, that church, I move around, I have an itinerant ministry very often from place to place. But I've noticed that God is really in control of all things because he's the one that watches and he's the one that's rewarding. And one thing I know is that I've worked hard through the years and God has rewarded me for it. I see it. Now in this message, we're looking at what Jesus said about work in Matthew chapter 20. And I find this unique parable he shares here, which can be a little disturbing. In fact, a lot of the things that Jesus said could be a little disturbing. But I like when I see something to be able to teach and explain it in a way that can help us grasp its principles. And that's what I'm going to try to do tonight with what the Lord showed you. These are seven questions about working for God. And we turn to Matthew chapter 20 for number one, which are, are you a worker? That's the first question. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, it all starts here. The kingdom of heaven is compared here to the principle of work and reward. This landowner is a man who has finances. He has wealth. He has land. That land has produced money for him in past harvests. He obviously is a good business person, but he is also a boss that needs to hire people. This is what Jesus is comparing the kingdom to. So he's saying the kingdom of God is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire workers. In other words, it is just as. This is an analogy. When he's using this analogy, he's saying, don't look at the kingdom and and misunderstand the principle of work ethic because it is exactly the same. So he's paralleling the two. The kingdom is a, a, a landowner. Let's put the roles in place. A landowner would be God. God is the one that's in control of all things. God is our master. Our Heavenly Father has called us to service, has called us to work for Him and do things here on this planet. And based upon that, we see in the parable that He is the landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers. Well, who were the workers? I like when He told the disciples in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to get there in a second, but He said, "You pray to the Lord of the harvest that He'd send forth laborers. Of course, He was meaning them. And so it is for us. We are... The workers. The vineyard is the world itself. The vineyard is this current generation, which, by the way, you cannot be held accountable or responsible for generations past. You cannot be held accountable or responsible for generations future. You can only be held accountable and responsible for the generation that surrounds you right now the people with whom you interact every day. So that's the vineyard. The vineyard is me and you in this room. The vineyard is people out there. Very late the other night, I was um, uh, at home, and I just got this feeling. It's very late. I was a little hungry. Uh, The the kitchen was closed in my house. My wife was going to bed, and I wasn't about to ask her to cook me something. And I could cook, but I'm just a little lazy. And you know, there's always a food court. Always in my, where I live, I live in a great place to sing main center, because I have food courts everywhere, I have like six food courts within three minutes walk, I'm in heaven it's like everywhere, and then if that's not enough, I have Upper Thompson right there, just everything from Fat Boys all the way down Habitat, I, have, I can go anywhere depending on any level I want most hours, it's great it's fantastic, so I thought okay, I'll just, now by this time that I'm deciding to do this, right, it's, it's midnight-ish And I get there, and a man who had been working had just finished his job and was coming by at that very moment that I sat down to eat, eat my vegetables. And I'm on a diet right now, so I can only have vegetables, but why not have a little shrimp paste with it, amen? So I'm eating my vegetables, enjoying it, and he come by, and there he was. And he sat down in the vineyard. And although I wanted to go home and go to sleep, Sometimes the hours that the boss says we need to work, we work. Two hours later, I was still there. (laughs) There was nothing left about Jesus that I could say. Nothing left. And the man was absolutely enthralled. Absolutely fascinated. So you understand the analogy. The Lord of us is the landowner. Uh, We are the workers. and The vineyard are all these people that surround us all the time. If we are on call and we work for the boss at any given time, he will be required that we do work for him. And that's where we need to understand some principles. So I ask the question in this verse, number one, are you a worker? Let me tell you this about Jesus. Jesus was a hard worker. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here Jesus sees this. Jesus is already working. At this point, we've been studying this passage a lot and God just keeps bringing me back to it. But Jesus, at this point, by the ninth chapter, has been working non-stop. In his father's business. His father, in this case, is the landowner, and Jesus is definitely the laborer. And he's working that field. He's going every corner of it, all full acreage of his father's property. Jesus is going by a plan that his father is giving him that makes him say things we must needs go through Samaria. He's doing exactly everything the father says. He's busy about it. But at this point in his life, it seems like everyone else is just. A spectator. He's the only one working. This is the turnaround recently that we talked about. This is the epiphany that he gets, that there's a need. Something has to be done. I'm working very hard, but if other people do not learn to work hard with me, the job will never be accomplished. And that's what I see happens. This response, or the response of Jesus to the need of humanity was work. Gotta go to work. We need to do something to make a difference. He created an industry here, and as I was looking at today in regards of work, there are industries that exist right now that are the most lucrative industries in the world. You hear me—the most lucrative industries—and they did not exist a decade ago. Social media, Mark Zuckerberg—those are industries. You understand? An industry can be created from something that does not exist. An industry can come out of nowhere. These handphones, Apple computer has more money than the United States of America has. Liquid free cash they have. More. That one company. Why? Because they created things for an industry that did not even exist based on some principles. This is exactly what I see Jesus doing. Jesus is walking in the vineyard. He sees the need. The other analogy, of course, is shepherd sheep. He sees the need, and his response is, well, I need to create an industry. It's interesting that he compares the industry to the fishing industry. And then when he calls his disciples, he just reallocates their work into another field. I know a lot of people that worked in printing businesses that in the 1980s and then 90s, although they were already successful businesses, they knew their industry was going to die very quickly. And they quickly went to night school, re-educated themselves. They learned coding. They learned computer, computer sciences. They did what they had to do to survive. I had a friend of mine that in the in that transition, he was working 10 hours a day and going to school for 5 hours a night. He knew. He knew, if I don't do this, I will have no industry. So things changed. This is exactly what happened with the disciples. The disciples were fishermen. Jesus says, no, no longer will um, you be fishermen, but you'll be fishers of men. And so he created an industry out of the need. So, bottom line is, Jesus' response to the need of man was, somebody has to do this job. I'm doing my best, but we need more people to do it. And then Jesus continued to work. Like, we're establishing this point that Jesus was a hard worker. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, They went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. His ministry was so active, so busy, that he didn't have time to eat often. Didn't have time, too much to do. Now Jesus was a good manager of his time, and he was a good boss to work for. And there were times he gave them rest, he he would take them far away, put them in the boat, did whatever he had to do. But the bottom line was Jesus' work ethic was intact. And that's where Paul got it from. that's where every major ministry, every ministry that's really doing something, every believer that's really making a difference on planet Earth, I have seen the same fact. John 9, 4 says, we must quickly carry on the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. And of course, Jesus was speaking about the fact that we have a limited amount of time to do the job. And I see that if we, we need to make sure that we use everything within our power to be in place to do the right work. There are all different kinds of workers. Now, right after Jesus said what he said in Matthew chapter 9, he went in into um, chapter 10, and part of what he says to those workers is this, because this establishes the idea that a worker worth keeping. What's a worker that worth keeping? Let's just pretend you are a CEO. You are a boss, like the landowner. All kinds of people will come and go. You might want to keep people on staff. Other people, you might let them go. You may not even say why, but ultimately there's usually just one real reason why you would let them go. And it has everything to do with productivity. They're no longer productive. You love them. They can be your best friend. You may even have to talk in the office with just you and this guy and say, you know, you're like my son, but. And then that's where the phrase comes in. You know, it's it's not personal. It's business, because ultimately business depends upon productivity. It has to be able to make something. And it's kind of frightening to me that Jesus will tell this parable and say, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is exactly like this principle. And God is looking for productivity. He says in Matthew 10, 9 and 10, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff." For the worker is worth his keep. This is saying that there is a standard of work done by the people that Jesus sends out, you and me, that is of such a proficient level or sufficiency in its actual productivity that you need not worry about anything, everything will come to you. God will provide. He'll take care of you. And so I really started thinking about this today. A worker worth keeping versus a worker not worth keeping. What would be the contrary? A worker who is the right kind of worker is worth his keep. But not all workers are the right kind of workers. So we see two sides, right? Bottom line is you may ask the question, what gets you paid in any job? Hard work. Another question, what gets you fired from any job? Lack thereof. You're productive. You have no worries. You're going to do good. You're doing good. You're doing exactly what you're told. All your things are on time. Your projects come in on time. In fact, sometimes ahead of time. You're the one that's always willing to work a little bit overtime. The boss is going to love you. And when promotions come and that time comes for advance, you're the one he's going to think of. It works the same in the kingdom. What can get you hired. What can get you to stay in a position and even promote it. It's exactly the opposite of what can get you fired. I don't know about you, but I've been fired before. I was young and stupid, working for a pet shop. Aquarium imports was the name of the pet shop. I loved working there because I loved aquariums. And before the time, I had a lot of aquariums. But I was the worst employee that ever walked in those doors. Lazy, no good teenager. Did not no ethics for work, nothing. Entitlement, hey, you know, you owe me, I'm the special guy. and uh, One thing I think that everybody needs in life is at least one time to get fired. At least one time. Hopefully it won't repeat, but it is very healthy for you to get fired at least one time because you were not sufficient. Because it's not by choice that you're, I mean, it's not by accident that you're not, it's choice, you just may not recognize it. You did something or didn't do something, most likely didn't do something inaction is the number one culprit but i got fired from that that shop and i remember the day the boss called me at the end of the day he had you know he would pay us on um a weekend basis we'd work three days and then he'd pay us each week that way and he laid the cash it was a cash job i love cash jobs it was a cash job they just put the cash out there and um he'd pay us and he paid me um the money and he and he said to me he was trying to be nice about it. he said stephen um you don't need to come back and i said come come back where <laughs> and he says no you don't you this is it um this is it thank you uh we, we won't be requiring your services anymore i said you know that when you feel your blood fall out of your body it feels like <laughs> I, I, and I thought well, what do you mean he says well, um he says yeah, we just i said i don't understand he said you're fired <laughs> Just like that, leaned into me like Donald Trump. You're fired. <laughs> and I felt like it went straight through me. It was a hard lesson. I went outside. I cried. I went home. I cried. Sat in my room, grumbling about the unfairness of life, but then started thinking about it, and realized it's a miracle they didn't fire me earlier. <laughs> Because that reflection that comes from that, right? It's very important. So there's a job done right and there's a job done wrong. A job done right, Matthew 25, 20, about the same thing. Jesus using this analogy again. By the way, dawned on me today, Jesus almost always only spoke about industry in relation to the kingdom. The most common analogy of kingdom life is business, industry, productivity, and all the things that we do for him. We don't always like that because grace is so much more comfortable. And grace is the overlaying love that goes through this whole process, but work is required. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, of course the master's happy. with the guy that just took what he gave him and doubled it in a relatively short period of time. It was a test. He wanted to see. And every job that God gives you is a test. By the way, any job you ever get. Most hirings come with the stipulation of trial period. So that when you first get a job, they hire you on a trial period basis. If it don't work out, Why would businesses do that? Because they have found there are more worthless people than there are worthy people. (laughs) And to hedge their bets or protect themselves, they have to hardwire into the system how to easily dismiss someone without any, you have no contract, you just, we can fire you within an hour if we want to. And that's a trial period. And so during that time of probation, to use the term of penitentiary, but it's like that. It's a probation period that you know. And once you pass that, well, then they pull the contracts out. Because now they see the value of you based upon your productivity. I don't want to scare anybody tonight. I'm just reading the Bible to you. And I've sat under this the whole day, so I'm a little stirred. You know, you get under certain things in the Bible, it'll start working on you on the inside. So my whole day has been in this in these passages, so I have to present it as as it came to me, in the same light in which God has revealed it to me, I must present it. So the job's done right there. However, there's sometimes job done wrong. Matthew 25, 26, His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. What was he's lazy? What is laziness? Lack of productivity. Unmotivated. Not fulfilling obligations, not doing the simplest of things. I was the laziest employee Aquarium Imports ever hired. I would hide in the pet shop. I would hide behind the big goldfish aquarium, because from that position I could use the prism of the refracted light of this massive aquarium to spy and see if the boss was coming or if a customer was coming. If the customer was coming, I could evade them by going on the other side as to get out of work. the boss was coming, I could pretend to be working. What a horrible employee. (laughs) Don't look at me like that. You've all done it at one time in your life. This was the only time. Well, thank you, St. Teresa. Look, this in my life, I absolutely, I've only done it that one time. After that, I learned my lesson. After that, I learned my lesson. My next job, by the way, was at a Wendy's Old Fashioned Hamburgers. You had Wendy's here. It was a fast food place. I was was an extremely hard worker. Very valued. I was. I became the best fry man, the best grill man, the best <laughs> prep, the best closer, the best everything. The managers love me because why? I learned from the pain. And I learned in life. There's a good job and there's a bad job. You do it right or you do it wrong. I learned, I used to I have gotten fired for doing my jobs too good. Not kidding. Yes. I've been, I've worked in construction. I have been fired because too many complaints came from the other employees that I was working too hard and made them all look bad. Because I just had this ethic. I wanted to finish. I wanted to work. And I worked my way out of what is natural work into the ministry work that way. That I I became such a powerhouse of labor that within it, literally three times different construction sites, the boss said they don't want to work with you. And I, I could not work less. You understand? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. This was not in me to shortchange that business. If you want me to shovel, I'm going to shovel If I shovel quicker, you will be advantaged by it. And the bosses would all say, I'm sorry, look, you are a great worker, but we'll see that was the hand of God. God put the ethic in me to teach me through those principles. And I never forget, I, can re- I remember the gate, I remember the chain link fence, I remember the rusty chain and the lock on the last construction site in which I worked, the last job I worked before ministry. And I remember walking out of that construction site and God said, Stop. Turn around. And I turned around and looked into that construction field. We were doing foundational work for a big hospital that was being built. And he looked at it, and God says, you pass the test. He says, you will never return to this. He says, now go and do my work. And I left, and ever since then, I have not been paid for what I do. There's times money will come here and there, offerings and things like that. But God's teaching, there are principles... That he wants to, I would not be surprised if the disciples that Jesus chose were also very good workers to begin with. You don't know how long Jesus was on that beach looking out over the disciples. He could have chosen anybody, by the way. I don't think it was necessarily a, a very specific... In retrospect, with hindsight, we focus on those twelve, but there were more than the twelve. There were seventy and even hundreds and thousands. But because historically it was written after, it worked out that those twelve be the ones, and it wasn't until the 17th chapter of John that Jesus said, You're these are the ones that you gave me, Father, that you showed. And by the way, it wasn't an instant decision of Jesus. He prayed all night on the mountain before he went and chose those twelve. And I guarantee you, every one of them had at least some form of work ethic about them. I bet you, I bet you. We know David worked. Well you know, I mean let's go. Uh, I don't know. Noah seemed lazy. I don't think so. <laughs> he built a pretty big boat. Yeah. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. He had to cut that wood himself, put everything he had to fashion, he had to get the, the fasteners, the, the, the nails, he had to smelt rock, get steel, do I mean he had to get the pitch, the tar. That's a really difficult job. Lots of hard work. So when it's done wrong, we see here. Problems come you, wicked, lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? By the way, I don't think this man did do those things. I think that was just the grumblings of this malcontented person who was a laborer suffering from the poison of the concept of entitlement. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, And give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So really, look at this. This means that Jesus, after creating the industry of the kingdom marks certain standards and has certain expectations of his workers. And he was painting the picture of this through these analogies the whole time. These parables were to say, this is what I'm expecting. Okay, guys, you're coming and you're learning about the kingdom. By the way, that's all Jesus ever talked about. He preached and taught the kingdom of God. To describe it to people that did not know it, he just used the analogies of this world, of which work ethic, industry, these things. So he tells them this. And he says, these are standards, this is the way it works. He's saying to them, this is the way it works with me, guys. This is I'm laying the rules down for you. You come work, yeah, you've laid everything down to follow me, but it's not a free ride. It's not a free ride. We're going to work, and we're going to work hard. We're going to lay our lives down. In fact, we're going to do it to our deaths. Okay, guys? Yes. We will go with you. We will do it. They all had the result. They wanted, they were willing. Can you drink the cup that I must drink from? We are able. You might be able to. But the actual promotion is up to the Father. All of these terms were them trying to find a way to work their way up in the industry. And I'm just using that term analogously of the kingdom because it's what Jesus was doing. And so it's interesting here that we say when somebody doesn't do a good job, they get fired. It's kind of scary that someone might literally get fired. You understand? This says weeping, gnashing of teeth. I'm I not saying, well, you're saying if I don't work really hard in the kingdom, God's going to throw me in the lake of fire. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it says and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds like a bad place to be. That's getting fired. That's fired. The other one is getting a promotion. What is a promotion? He gave him twice. He said, Get, take that gold, give it back to you. The one that has ten, give him the other one. Based upon their work ethic. A worthy and an unworthy person. So we, I want. I don't know about you, but I want to be. The, the question for this first point is, are you a worker? I'm a worker. I want to be a worker. And I would like at the end of this message, exactly, I'm not even done, that's just number one. There's so many things God showed me. As we go through it, at the end, our proclamation will be, I am a worker. Here am I, send me. I'll do the job. What is it? Just just make it clear. Tell me what to do. I want action and time parameters. I want clear definitions of what I need to do for you. And I will do it. Number two. Have you made an agreement? Matthew chapter 20, verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his harvest field or to his vineyard. Now here we know that this is the story again from the 20th chapter of Matthew that we already started out seeing that Jesus has compared the landowner to the workers and also the vineyard as those types of things the kingdom of God, the laborers you and me and the people that are around us in this kingdom and he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them. So Today, this work day, sun up, sun down, 12 hours, I'll give you one denarius. And and they agreed with him. You understand? An agreement was formed. uh, Okay, that seems fair. They have a choice, by the way. These are not slaves. These are laborers, hired laborers. They hired and paid per job. They were not being told by a dictator or a master. He's just a businessman. He's a landowner. That is, coming and contractually agreeing to pay them a denarius, and then they will do the work. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. Now here we see a lot of people making an agreement with this man. He's repeating the same terms to all of them regardless of the time that they're coming into his employ. If it's dawn, 6 a.m., sun comes up. There they are. Okay, you work for Denarius? All right. 9 o'clock, find some more people. Hey, uh, you work for Denarius? Yeah. 12 o'clock, you work until sundown for Denarius? Yeah. It, It was a sweeter deal as the day went on. Technically, if you measure out time. But all of them are agreeing. So they went and... Work for him. Whenever you start employment with a company or in an industry, you begin with a contract. First, there may be their trial period, but later in an industry that we work for, any business, you have a contract. You make an agreement. You sign a contract stating that you are accountable to do the things described in your job description. Right? What is your job description? Depends on what you're doing. If you work in IT, if you work in the medical profession, if you're a nurse, a doctor a lawyer, a janitor, anything, blue collar, white collar, every job has an exact description with SOP, standard operating procedures, and often the little checkbox list that you have to do those things. That's how you know the security guy in my building at exact timings must walk around the perimeter of our building and he has these little things that he has to touch a thing to to prove that he went there. Very interesting. Little metal things he has to touch just to show, right? That's accountability. It has an exact thing to do. You see the hired farm workers out there on the park connectors and in the fields doing things. How oh, many times have you seen them taking a picture of the done job? Why? That has to be sent to the office accountable. There are exact job prescriptions. They have to fulfill exact things. Any No business can operate without those principles. No, no. Otherwise, everything would become substandard. Things would not be done, things are not prepped properly, you need an exact quantity, you run a restaurant, same thing. What is prep? What is opening? What is cleaning? You do some prep for tomorrow, you have to do everything. Otherwise, when the actual work moment comes, you won't have the sufficient provisions, none of those things will be in line. Well, this sounds amazingly like the work of the ministry It's identical. I really started thinking about it. Everything I've done for the last 30 years, I do, I have prep. I, have, I can compare it to cooking or a business that is a restaurant. I work in a restaurant, occasionally with my wife to help, and did so here for that season that we were doing here and moved. And I see you know, some of us have this jobs that we do. We know there are very specific things. See, what we need to do is find what specific things God wants us to do as for His will for our life. If we do not have the exact things, we are not fulfilling what He's called us to do. So God's will, this is the problem, it has been mystified by a general concept of God's will. But God's will is a job given to everyone. Everyone has their part. And you've got to find out, you work out your own salvation, your own ministry, your fear and trembling. You've got to find out your action and time parameters. What is it that God wants me to do? And when you find it and do it, you will feel His pleasure towards you. And you will feel good about it. But when you don't do the right things and you drop the ball, often we're accountable to people that are accountable to Him. That's authority in church, in ministry, different times. But ultimately, we should work as though we were working for God no matter what. At all times. We should, according to the Bible, without going and searching out all the scriptures, work for secular industry as if we were working for God. Quote, unquote, the Bible says it. But we should look at our bosses like we were working for Jesus. Because that is what is a good witness. And that's what proves to them that we have the most valuable thing there is on planet Earth, work ethic, to be able to be productive. Everything comes down to productivity. Everything. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Why? Because it didn't have fruit on it. He didn't do that for fun. He was not angry at the fig tree. It was an analogy. It was a symbol. An object blessing. He was trying to say there has to be fruit. There has to be fruit. In the kingdom of God, we are exactly having to respond to these things. And this is the second one. You see, have you made an agreement? I made an agreement. 1984, I made my agreement. When I first got saved, it was very contractual. I said, and I quote, I will go anywhere on this planet and do whatever you want me to do. And he said, okay, sign the dotted line. I signed a dotted line. I signed it. I remember the moment I did it and he has never let me welch out of that contract. Often. Often I have complained. Often I said no. Often I said no. He says hey. And he brings me back to that dirty little room. (laughs) 17 year old boy. My mattress was on the floor. I I had chicken bones under my mattress. No sheets on it. Just the ticking. I come from poor We didn't have a lot. Had holes in my window with plastic tape to cover them. A broken television. With a coat hanger as an antenna. On the top and that in that room I still smell that room that's where I signed that contract in 1984 and my boss is the best boss I've ever worked for but he's a boss and he treats me thusly he often does not care about my opinion he I think of boss terms what does a boss do a boss has a right to be a boss right and this is often he does not he's not concerned Why? Because I made an agreement. That's the question. Have you made an agreement? And I've been a company man ever since I signed the contract. I'm towing the company line. I will keep doing it. Kingdom work, kingdom work, kingdom work. No problem. Number three, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? It's a good question. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them why, have you been standing here all day long doing nothing because no one is hires? They answered. He said to them, Well, you also go and work in my vineyard. So this is the thing I discovered from reading this. Idleness disturbs God. People doing nothing just irritates. I don't know, but it bothers me too. <laughs> There's nothing I can't I can't stand more if I go eat at a restaurant and a waiter is looking at their phone and I need something. And they won't look at me. They purpose, you know, the kind of people who bust tables with their back to you so that they don't make eye contact. Because they're trying to evade the work. I know, I was a bad employee. I I did the same thing. And that's, that's irritating. That idleness. When the boss comes, of course they pretend everything. They're doing everything. I've been guilty of that too. But I find out that God is always watching. And so always work with that ethic. Always do your best. Because God does not like people to just stand idly. Idleness disturbs God. The landowner was bothered to see people doing nothing. He wanted them all to have a job in his workplace, which in this case is the venue. So this parable is the kingdom. So that means that our Heavenly Father has no intentions on just letting you stand around all day. He wants you to work in the kingdom. We have other jobs, we have other things we do, and there are very, if, if we work in any corporation, there are a lot of different jobs. All of them are noble, from the lowest to the highest. All of them they, all of them have the same basic ideas and principles behind them. Things must be done the janitor, and what he does is as important as the CEO, and what he does, they all have obligations and accountability, they have to do things correctly. Number four, do you believe you're getting paid? And this is important because now we're going to cross the line between just the analogy of industry on earth and the kingdom. If you work a secular job, of course you're getting paid. You would never work that job. You would never. If I hired you, you want to go work at Starbucks, you can work here, okay? We need you to do 10 hours a day. um, But uh, we won't pay you, just work. Who's going to do that? Who's going to do it Unless there's some other form of payment. Like for instance, experience, know-how, internships, often you there are law firms that you will work there for nothing. You will pay them to let you work there. Just by association with that name, Johnson, Brown, and Smith, you know that if you had Johnson, Brown, and Smith law firm, and you your resume, that is so valuable, of course that's a fictitious name, it might really exist, I don't know, <laughs> but that is valuable. So there's other forms of payment. So if those people understand and recognize, follow me with this, if those people understand and recognize that there's a value that is invisible to them at the moment and therefore it's worth it to be the coffee errand boy and the paper chaser and the, the person who cleans up the mess and does everything and is treated like scum for years just because he knows there's a greater reward in the future. If people in the world know that, Because they have enough vision and foresight to see the end product of something during that internship does not exist. But they know it. It's still faith. It's still faith. How much more us in our association with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit law firm. In our work for Him in His kingdom. We may not always see the pay, but there are benefits going way beyond any money anybody can pay me. My association with his industry is far more valuable than any salary. But you are getting paid, that's the point. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the workers who were hired, about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now see here, we we see clearly the question is, do you believe you're getting paid? They all believed they were getting paid, regardless of the time. And no matter when they started, they knew, they, first of all, this land owner had a reputation. He was known. Otherwise, these people wouldn't have agreed to work for him. But they knew he was good for what he said. If he said he's going to pay. How much more our landowner in in this analogy? God Almighty, our king, God Almighty, he's good. If he says it, he's going to do it. If he tells you something in his word, he will do. He will do it. So the workers had agreed to work in the field, knowing that the landowner was a fair man and would absolutely honor his agreement and pay them. Knowing that there was a reward they were working for all day long. The ones that worked all day and the ones that worked less. So in the kingdom, it's important to understand that we will be paid. We will all be any kingdom work you do that is spiritual work or, or physical kingdom work that is for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or for any ministry that is the proclamation of the gospel and the teaching of the kingdom. There is a reward that goes far beyond any earthly monetary value. But it also plays out in life and abundance and God's multiplication. He said it, if you give up all these things for my kingdom, then I will give back to you 50 times, 100 times, houses and lands in these things in this life. Meaning he will take care of even the financial things. But if we do not have a mentality of a reward system being in place for what we do for God, we will not be very good laborers. A workman knowing not his wages is a poor laborer. And this is one thing I have found, that often people involved in ministry work. Now, the only reason I will make this criticism is because I've been involved in ministry work for a long time without pay. Almost most of that time, 90% of the time, there's nothing coming. But it has never once affected my product and my productivity. In fact, I've worked harder in the absence of provision than I have in the presence of provision. Because this simple principle that Jesus is teaching here, I got it, knew it, learned it, accepted it, and lived it. And I see people all the time coming into ministries to work, or maybe even volunteer in a position that's connected with the ministry. But they begin to think, well, because I'm not really getting paid, Not really, and if they do pay, it's not a lot, so yeah. And they begin to adjust their enthusiasm and their productivity and their focus on the job based upon earthly things. That's deciding I'm going to live by the flesh. But we have to make a choice. Everything you do, do it as if God Himself is standing there. A workman knowing not his wages, my wages, see the thing is, if you don't understand that there is a heavenly reward, then why would you work? Why would you work? And so people enter in and now a problem happens here in this business of the landowner, and it's about to erupt because people misunderstood the agreement and they misunderstood principles and that anything Jesus ever teaches from parables is corrective. It's to help us earthlings understand some kingdom principle that we have been in error. We need to be fixed in this regard. And that's what he does here. Number five, what are you expecting? When you work for God, when you come into the industry of the kingdom of God and labor for him, what are you expecting? So, says, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Well, why? They expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired glass worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have become the burden or have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Well, so they're a bit unsettled about this. They're not happy. But what, what were they expecting? Well, they expected to receive more, firstly. Well, what more? Why? Why were they expecting to receive more than they had agreed to be paid? Now, I know you know the answer, but I'm, I am just think about the question. What about the agreement had changed during the day? Was the agreement re- re- rewritten or amended during the day? Did the landowner step out there and explain things to them? No, they made an agreement. They said they would do it in 1984. I told him I would work for him. Nothing, his debt contract has never changed. I wish I could have gone back. Wish I had some of the foresight to know I would have maybe made a slightly different agreement. If you've been involved in missions work, you know how he gets you involved. He just breaks your heart. And you just go into it and do it, and then that's it. You signed a contract. I mean, you have ever signed a contract and you thought for sure you would go to that fitness club? but then you don't, and you still have to pay for it because you signed a contract. It's kind of like that in the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that God is not fair and is trying to hoodwink you and trick you so he can get your money. No, but we made an agreement. They made an agreement, so what are they expecting? What about the agreement changed? Absolutely nothing changed. They were told they would be paid a denarius, and that is exactly what the landowner paid them. He did precisely and exactly what they agreed with him should be done. So I say this, in the beginning of our entering into contractual agreement with God concerning His kingdom, we accept that we're serving Him in exchange for an eternal reward. If if not, then you're a hireling. And you're not a shepherd. No, we know that there's a very good chance we will never get any money for what we're about to do. But you still lay your life down in service to the king because you suspect and understand and feel that there's a much bigger reward. That's easy to say. Hard to live. But God's watching. I say it this way, you know, that that nobody gets saved because it means they'll be rich. In fact, most people that get saved in all the missions work I've done, do so under the understanding that they will lose something and even be persecuted and maybe die. And they made the choice knowing that. They signed the contract knowing this could cost me my life. Knowing it most definitely will cost me my friends and my family, my belongings, everyone Jesus entered into a verbal contract with concerning the kingdom and following him, they knew they would lose. Peter said, we've forsook everything. We left everything to follow you. We signed the contract. And that's what Jesus said those words. Well, you know, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, everything's coming back to you. As for the contract, don't you remember the contract? Remember the contract? He like reminds us all the time. I tell you, every time I complain, I'm back in that room in 1984. Remember this, Stephen? Yeah. I remember it. And I giggle and go on and continue to serve him. And he smiles at me. So it's a choice to become a part of the kingdom. And we have the words of the Bible to teach us exactly what that means. However, If we walk in ignorance concerning what the words of the contract state, then we will find it easy to rely on some other source of information, such as our thoughts. Discontentment. Because things aren't working the way you thought they should work. Well, his thoughts are not your thoughts. He's fond of telling us. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are beyond our comprehension. Trust is believing that he can think for us and that his plans are not to harm us but to prosper us, give us hope, and give us a future. So I have to trust the words of the contract. You know what I've sadly seen through the years? A lot of people that were not happy with the original agreement of the job that they took in the kingdom and quit. I've seen hundreds quit and go find another job. Literally, go find another job. Why? Because God broke the contract? They broke the contract. And God lets them go because whoever puts their hand to the plow looks back, well, they're not really fit to do the work. I'm not saying he's putting them in the lake of fire. It's just they have to end up doing another thing. But I'm addressing people who are very serious about doing kingdom work. It says there they begin to grumble against the landowner. Well, why did they grumble? Not because a landowner was being unfair. It has nothing to do with that. They were angry uh, because of their own thoughts. So herein lies the root of the problem with believers that become disgruntled in the kingdom life because of that. If we read the contract correctly, we will see. The landowner never does less than he says he will do. God will always, he's not a man that he would lie. he will always fulfill his promises. There, It will never happen. It will never happen that he does not do exactly. So now the problem is uh, we have to start on rethinking some things about the denarius. We agreed for denarius. It says finally that you, you have made them equal to us. So this is a problem. This is exactly what the landowner did. This bit of information gives us insight into what the payment is. So we know that there are varying degrees of rewards in the place of heaven, right? You know that the Bible does talk about there will be varying rewards in that place. But we're not in that place yet. We're in a vineyard. Locked into a 12-hour period. And the kingdom is analogous. To that so just because you only get a denarius here does not mean and i'm gonna i'm gonna um suppose something uh, for you in a moment too but let me just read these notes because the holy spirit kept speaking to me the payment and this is what what i have to say so this the information is but we know that there are varied degrees of reward in the places of heaven or eternity with god but what exactly is this passage discussing the payment is being part of the kingdom Simply being an employee of the landowner is your participation in the world of his kingdom. The landowner, his world, the vineyard, with you there, you then not know hey, that guy works in the vineyard of the landowner. You become a part of the kingdom, that's what you get. He works for the king, he works for the Lord Jesus Christ, he works in the ministry, he's receiving a denarius. So when we agree to serve Him, we enter His service by the blood of the Lamb, and our names are written in the list of laborers called the Lamb's Book of Life. The employee record is the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, these people get saved. If they're getting saved, it means they're coming into a contractual agreement with me to do things for me, to do my will, to do what I say. I'm the boss. I'm the CEO. I'm the one that runs the industry. And so I'm going to make choices about what should be done. That is eternal life. That we might know Him, then work for Him. And by the way, our work does not end here on earth. Don't think you're going to get to heaven and just lay around. It does not say that. It says we will serve Him in His temple day and night forever. That means your job just begins when you go there. Keep that in mind. I'm excited about that, by the way. Because once again, I like work. And honest, to be honest, Never have I ever thought that heaven would be great because I don't have to do anything. Never. I've never. There are people who have the same people that have retirement mentalities. Don't get hurt. But there are people they can't wait to retire because when I retire I just do what I want, that's a that's a fallacy. You know what happens when people retire? They die. Yeah, that's true. Have you ever met people who retire? They seem great, and just one year later, they look like they aged ten years. They just, like, let go of themselves. They just they get sloppy. They get Because they, there's no motivation, there's nothing. I will never retire. I'm telling you, I will be roped to a stool behind a pulpit when I'm 120 years <laughs> of age. And I will still be preaching. <laughs> Open your Bible, of <sighs> And then I'll fall and die, and that's my retirement. <laughs> I've never longed for a rest like that. And when we get to heaven, it is not what we, what some people think. You're not just gonna stroll around on the streets of gold. Uh, in this cool high-five, your friend. No. You're gonna be you're gonna be reporting for duty. You will work for him, ruling nations and lands. We will go in and out of the holy city as agents that function in a whole new permutation of creation. A new heaven and a new earth where you will be employed. Why do you think the analogy says when the king comes, he gives them rulership over kingdoms because they've been faithful with a lousy bag of gold? <laughs> because he's testing to see in this tiny little vineyard, your work ethic, your principles, your understanding will affect the next level. And in that place, well, I have theories about that place too. I, I could go, I could. Go on and on. But we're going to work and we're going to labor and he will have a rod like iron as he rules the nations and we are we are his henchmen. We're going to be working right there. Those people, because outside of the city are the whoremongers and the dogs and the idolaters and all these people. They are going to be not a part of us. We are going to be holy. We're going to be as the angels are today. I wouldn't be surprised if the angels are not some people of yesterday. I don't have any proof of that but we don't know how many earths the lord has created we don't know how many times god has done this it could be many times whatever it's not worth the conjecture it's just interesting we are only responsible with the words in our contract and our contract is 66 books in the canon of scripture that teaches us these principles when we agree to serve him we enter through the blood we serve him now if you extend this analogy right I asked, this is something in conjecture. What happened the next time the landowner needed a worker? This gets on, everybody gets a denarius. Some people are complaining, some people are moaning. Hey, what's up with that? I worked all day and you gave this guy a denarius, you got paid the same. That's not bad, bad, Well, at the end of the day, they go home, they only have a denarius, it's what they agreed on. But what's going to happen that next day? What if that landowner suddenly has a new project with a higher payment? He will pay two denariuses for this job. It's a little more important. Who do you think he might consider for that job? Maybe the guy that worked all day without grumbling and complaining? And was okay with the denarius? This is where I see the advance of eternity. When we get there, promotions will come based upon what happens in the vineyard. I worked all day, no problem. Denarius? Hey, 1884 contract signed. I got it till I die. And I go there. Oh, you're the guy that did the whole 120 years. <laughs> okay. i tell you what, I got a special place for you. Because you were faithful with that, I'll make you head of this. Just like would have happened in the natural with a landowner that saw a guy work all day long and did not moan and complain, but said, thank you, sir. That next day, hey, where's that guy? Because I need a supervisor for tomorrow. See, promotion. Just like that. I have seen that happen in the kingdom in my life. I've seen it happen in people's lives. And that's how you can extend. Number six, we're almost done. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? That's, a, that's the sixth question. He says, but he answered one of them. These are the grumblers. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who, has, oh, who was hired last the same as I gave you. That's she just says it straight up. Did I do something wrong? I'm not being unfair. In fact, I'm being very fair. He told them to take their pay. And go. So the landowner seems unhappy with the grumblers, who had ideas of entitlement to more that they had formulated in their own imaginations. It wasn't his idea? Don't second guess his word. Don't try to figure things out. Just do what the contract says. It will be a reward. Don't be deceived. Whatever man sows, he will God's not gonna be mocked. It's gonna work. It's gonna work. I trust that says the number seven, the final one. Do you understand that God can do as he pleases? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? (laughs) Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And this is interesting. Here's the deepest lesson of the parable. Very important that you get this. The landowner is the one that owns everything, right? And is in control of all things. His fairness was extended to the workers and they all agreed. Nobody was forced as a slave to work. Everybody got his honors, right? So we all have free choice when we get a job at God Incorporated. We all sign a contract sealed in blood. We work for Him. It's given us eternal life. It gives us part in His kingdom. We get the denarius. The denarius is your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's the payment that is in within the confines of the vineyard. The vineyard is earth. You will get the... the your name is written. So if the, more or less happens during that time, some people suffer more, some people suffer less, it's okay. That has not. Ni- that's neither here nor there within this world. Don't mess up the system. Just labor. Okay? No problem. We see very simply, the most important part of the contract is that the boss is the absolute authority and the highest potentate. Whatever he says is a fact. It's the way it is. That's the sovereignty of God. We do not seem to mind this principle too much when it applies to our redemption and unfair agreement and arrangement of the sacrifice of Jesus for our sinners. That's not fair. That's not right. That's totally unfair that the righteous, perfect Jesus had to die for us in our place. That's the the most unfair, that's the greatest travesty of justice ever witnessed on this planet and outside of all eternity. Jesus paid a price. He did not supposed to pay. He did it so that we would not do it. That's righteousness counted unto us simply because we believe, yet we're going to moan and complain about some unfairness. You better watch your arguments. I'm not, because that's unfair. I'm thank God. If I, if I get what's fair, I get the lake of fire. That's fair. I don't want what's fair. So if he gives me the nurse, that's fine. Because my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And all those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will not be thrown into the lake of fire. Yes. <laughs> Just mind my own business, do my job, mind my own business. Do my job. Work for everyone in the vineyard as if it were God himself. Or serve with all my heart. Do everything. Chop onions better than anyone who's ever chopped onions. Make the best espresso anyone's ever seen. As if Jesus walked up and said, I would like a double espresso. <laughs> if you're giving it to Jesus, because it says whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. If we have that work principle, that ethic, we will shine brighter than the stars and the sun in this generation. People will look at us like they looked at Joseph and say, what is up with this guy? They'll look at us like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, find them to be ten times better than all those other people. Because we serve, because we serve, we serve. It's okay, one denarius, you got me for life. No problem. We must understand that to work for God and His kingdom means first and foremost that we give all authority and right to the one that calls our wrongs right and frees us from the inevitable punishment. You will be rewarded, my friend. You will be. You just have to trust Him. You're going to get paid. You'll get everything that you do not deserve. And more because of the simple fact that you agreed to work for a I'm so glad that I signed that contract. All this day I kept crying because I think I could have not signed it. And I got the weight of what happened in 1984 when I signed that, when I agreed to work for Denarius. And I realized I am part of the greatest thing that exists. It's nothing greater than this industry that I work in. we all have this privilege. I'm so glad. My conclusion after this whole day is very simple. This. I am working for God. I'm not looking for another job. I don't need another boss. I, I don't care what I just stopped thinking. I stopped trying to formulate ideas. My mind is a liar, is an enemy of God, so I can't even listen to it. I just, denarius, denarius, denarius. One is enough. I will work, and I will continue to work, and every time the boss looks out over the vineyard, I'm picking grapes like a fool. <laughs> I'm the best grape picker in the vineyard. <laughs> he has grapes flying in three baskets at a time. <laughs> like a machine gun. Perfect. People get mad at me because he just he picked all the grapes. There's no grapes left to pick. The master's watching. I'm working for God. These are the things we saw. How I many of you feel like you learned something tonight? Something. Maybe challenge some mindsets and some ideas. You know, this is I, I can only give you what God gives to me. It's up to you to decide whether or not God actually gave it to me. You know what I mean? Like a teacher, that's all we do. We just we receive this. You might have in your mind, well, that's a great thought, but okay, well, that's 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 your life. I can only be responsible for what I know what God has called me to. Working for God. Seven questions about working for God. Number one: Are you a worker? Some people don't like the idea of being a worker. Some people just want to be a boss. Well, I'm sorry. In the kingdom, there's one boss and one boss only. Everybody else is a worker. By the way, Joseph was never not a worker. He just was a very high-ranking worker. And that's exactly the deal that God makes with you. He will give you promotion. Even in this realm, even in the kingdom, he'll move you up, you'll, but you will always be subject to him as the boss. Have you made an agreement? Well, that's basically salvation. So the answer would be, yeah, I made that agreement. Maybe you didn't quite understand. Ever sign agreements without reading all the terms and conditions? Every day. Almost every little app you download. Who's ever really read the terms and conditions of an app when you buy it? And, you know, some of that's pretty serious, too. That means they can harvest your personal information and use it for whatever they want. you're like, okay. Because you didn't read it. I, when I get an apartment, a long time ago, I didn't even read contracts for apartments out of rent. And not now. Now I read it backwards. But One time, I, I wrote the contract for my apartment that I was going to rent. I wrote the contract. And gave it to the, uh, the landlord. And they agreed and accepted it. Because I, ma- I understood how the contracts worked then. That's the Bible. The person who knows the Word of God understands the stipulations of the contract. One of the greatest preachers that ever lived. I forgot which one it was. Um, A great evangelist had formerly been a lawyer, and he got saved. And his argument was, if people simply read the Bible like I knew the law and used precedent, everything's there. He was a great teacher of the Word of God. Somebody will tell me later in the comment online or something. Oh, that was whoever, whoever. Please feel free to give me that information. Why have you been standing here doing nothing? God does not like us to just stand around. The landowner was not happy with that. Uh, Better that you just work the last 20 minutes. Do something. At least do something. Now, sometimes I get a little disgruntled. Do you believe you're getting paid? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, What do you expect? Sometimes I've expected the wrong. uh, To be honest, I'm not always happy when everybody gets to partake in the things I've laid my life down for. And come in in five minutes and just scoop it up and take it. (laughs) It, whatever anointing is in my life, which taken me all these years, living in third world countries, 20 years, slums, no electricity, no water, typhoid, dengue, hepatitis, dengue 17 times, sickness, disease, food poisoning, I cannot possibly come. And that price, God sees, He knows, He understands, and He rewards you with a greater and greater capacity of spirit, and you take it to a new group of disciples that got saved last week, and they get the full measure. Boom! Ah, and they get everything that you worked your whole life for. And that's beautiful. You can come in the last minute of my life and get exactly what I get. That's beautiful. But now, what happens after this vineyard? That's where my hopes lie. I do not set my affections in the vineyard. The vineyard is just a test. I learned that a long time ago. What are you expecting? Didn't you agree to work for deniers? Yes. Yes. You do? And number seven, do you understand that God can do as he pleases? Look, you better get the sovereignty of God straight in your head. <laughs> He's God you're not. You know I have that written on a PowerPoint in my prayer, I pray every day. I have a whole a black PowerPoint with big white letters, says your God, I'm not. Your God is written in very really big print and your I'm not is a little tiny print. On purpose. It's just a, it's a symbol to me. In the morning, I make that declaration. You are God, I am. And I give you all rights and privileges as the sovereignty over my life. You are the boss. I work for you. We already agreed. I get a denarius, I'm fine with that. So now what? Where'd you boss? What today? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Every message that comes out of me, that's what it's coming from the boss. Alright, tell him this. Tell him that. Tell him this. Tell him that. And I take that very seriously. I only want to do what the father tells me to do. I only want to say what the Father tells me to say. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.